Hi Merlin, uh, it's Anastasio Sarima from Hyperion X here again. I'm the co-founder and CEO. Uh, at Hyperion X, we're looking at developing a sustainable uh, supply chain of titanium metal uh, back here in North America to supply the North American, European and global markets. Taysa, good to be speaking to you once again. Uh, we last spoke in October and we and we, we covered the, the PEA that you put out last year. But here we are at the start of 2023. You've had some bumper uh, news releases already this year. Um, what I'd like to do today is to cover the highlights of last year, cover the news releases that have come out in January, what it means for the company, and then talk about the other plans for 2023. So could you first start by giving me a quick summary of the, kind of the highlights and the, the key elements of last year for the company? Yeah, uh, last year was a great year for us, uh, even though the backdrop of the market was quite volatile with uh, the way in inflation ended up over the last six months of the year. Uh, but we still were able to, to achieve a lot. As you said, we completed our uh, preliminary economic assessment, our scoping study on our Titan project, which is a important strategic asset for us. It is the largest titanium mineral resource in North America. Uh, and we started uh, looking at uh, the permitting of that asset and also ahead of the pre-feasibility study looked at completing the feasibility level metallurgical test work on the Titan project. But I think more importantly, we advanced um, what we see as immense value in our titanium metals side of our business. Uh, last year, we took over operations of the titanium metal uh, industrial pilot facility, we're calling it, uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, which was built by Dr. Zach Fong and funded originally by the Department of Energy, the RPE program within the Department of Energy. We took over operations of that in uh, last year, at the start of last year, and we spent quite a bit of capital on that, taking it from what was a research and development facility to sort of semi or industrialized facility. Put in a great team, added some significant capital upgrades there, and really progressed uh, the development of, of uh, our titanium metal powders. So day in, day out today, we produce titanium metal powders. Uh, and last year, we started securing our first customers that really validated um, the, the project or the, the technology. Uh, our first major customer was Panerai out of the Richemont Group within uh, Switzerland for luxury watch applications where the luxury goods sector is looking at sustainable sources of supply. Uh, and then we've continued to work with other OEMs across industries and, of course, uh, the military as well, given the backdrop of the geopolitical tensions with Russia and China um, and the fact that titanium is controlled by those two countries. 70% of control is from China and Russia. Uh, there's a lot of focus from Department of Defense, um, national security angles for us developing our uh, titanium metal um, capabilities here in the United States. So we had a great year in really proving it out. And th th that uh, I mean, here we are in early February, and uh, I mean, if you if we if we take January as well, you've got the you're working with the, the army and the navy now. So if you kind of include that into kind of last year's work to bring us up to date, uh, so so let, let's go straight into those two announcements. Um, you know, what are they and what do they mean? Absolutely. So look, we had uh, we then started off 2023 with a bang. So we were working and we were known by the Department of Defense during last year. Uh, early this year, or as soon as we came back from uh, New Year's, uh, we won uh, 
an Air Force Grand Challenge, essentially the ability to recycle uh, the titanium metal and metal scrap for the Air Force in their uh, 3D printing applications that they're using today, um, which will eventually lead into a lot of other Air Force recycling uh, programs. Uh, we expect it to lead into a lot of other titanium recycling programs within the Air Force. The Air Force is a major user of titanium metal in current um, fighter jets like the F-35 and future um, weapon systems as well. So uh, that was a huge win. Hang on. Um, and just, then just, just um, on that, you, you talk about this kind of Air Force Grand Challenge. Was this a national competition? How long did it take for the deliberation? I mean, was this something that you applied for in the middle of last year or the beginning of last year? What was the kind of the time frame and how many competitors did you have? And you know, what's, what's the, a little bit more color, please? Yeah, so it's a it's a good question actually. So the Air Force Research Laboratories was uh, as they've been using more additive manufacturing, um, they've been looking at uh, reducing the cost of the raw material supply chain in additive manufacturing, which is one of the largest costs of three D printing or additive manufacturing. And in addition to that, they've been looking at how do they recycle these new types of products they're making for from additive uh, manufacturing uh, in titanium metal. Uh, and so middle of last year, they, they put out this grand challenge. Um, we had never really interacted a lot with the Air Force. Uh, we had interacted a lot with Navy and Army before then. Um, so I won't go into details because I think it's not public uh, exactly who, who we competed against and uh, how many there were in there, but it was nationwide uh, and it was open to all titanium producers. Are there other... Uh, additive manufacturing 3D printers um, companies out there with the ability to print 3D titanium? So to print, yes, absolutely. Uh, to make the titanium metal powders or the feedstock or the raw material, there's uh, only a few. Um, the big ones are quite well known, like GE Additive has had bought uh, APNC, which is uh, one of the you know one of the top suppliers today. Uh, and there's a few other very well-known companies in the supply chain um, for making these raw materials. Um, you know, we, we won the challenge because we're completely different. The way we produce our titanium metal is not through the traditional process, which is what everyone else relies on. So we're much more sustainable. We use 100% scrap today. So we are the only company that is out there really using 100% scrap from today. So no virgin material supply that will change in the future but um, today we are doing a hundred percent recycled product so we came into the competition and and you know it was good good companies that we went against uh but i'm proud that we we won um and, and i think so, so, you, um what are your differences so is it is it just melting point is it just a temperature input you know, um... No, 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 no. So it goes back to the technology. So our technology is a complete change to the titanium metal supply chain. So we don't go through any melting. We don't go through the traditional crawl process. So today, the titanium metal is manufactured through the crawl process. And then you take sponge, titanium metal sponge, which 70 plus percent is controlled by China and Russia. And then you melt it into ingots. And then from ingots, you have to make it into products. Now to make... The, one of the more common raw materials in additive manufacturing is powder, spherical powder. To make spherical powder, you have to take titanium metal ingots, you have to make them into wire. Wire is very expensive. That is then taken into a plasma or gas atomization process and melted into spherical powders. Sounds really expensive. It is really expensive. Sounds 
very energy intensive. It is very energy intensive. Um, and our process completely gets away from crawl. So we actually just take scrap, we put it through our process, and we come out naturally with powder. In that, in the process as well, we spheroidize it, not using any melting on anything, and just deoxygenate it and come out with uh, powder. So we, because of that patented process, um, we it completely upends the supply chain. So we're, you know, we've talked about being plus 50% cheaper than the current supply chain. I think we're going to be a lot cheaper than that um, as we scale. Uh, and we have equivalent uh, properties uh, and we are far more sustainable. So we can take our 100% recycled product, 100% scrap and make that into 100% recycled product. And we use no carbon in our process. So we're zero scope one, scope two carbon emissions. And so... Um... You don't go through that the, the multi-stage process. You just take the scrap in and out at the other end of the black box. Out of your your, your magic black box comes the the the, the pretty the, much pretty much, and the, that's the, where the, the Air Force Research Labs comes in and has a a, a big look uh, and goes uh, same as with Panerai and says you know does this black box work? Uh, we've talked about the technology a, a lot. Essentially, it's based around a refining process which is different, which was not known before, based on a scientific breakthrough Dr. Zach Fong had in 2016, where you can actually refine titanium in the presence of hydrogen, which people didn't know before. So it's sort of like, as we scale up, I'll always say at some point, Dr. Fong's probably gonna get a uh, Nobel Prize or something in 10, 20 years time for this, because this really does uh, change the way we think about how we can make titanium metal products. You don't have to have crawl or ingot anymore, and that's what it's based on. When you submitted to the um, the Air Force Grand Challenge, Air Force Research Grand Challenge, um, <clears throat> did they come and visit? Did they come and spend time on the plant? And how long did it take them to make their mind up and say, "Actually, this is what we want to. This is what we want to invest in and support and 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 pursue." So they did not do a site visit. I can say that, but you know, it 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 is quite a technical um, uh, review. So it is very much material scientists and PhDs that review and go over what we're doing. Um, so the the challenge has a few aspects to it. There is an aspect of they are will be visiting site. Um, we've pretty much we've already made the powder. So I've like they gave us ten months to make the powder. I mean, recycling of titanium metal powders was really challenged. Um, before we had developed our process. So I don't think the Air Force Research Labs really understood that we're already doing it. So it, so they gave, they came out with the challenge and said, whoever wins has 10 months to make the powder. And it's, that's that's all we do is recycle titanium metal powder. So, so we've already made it, right? So they will come, they will see the process and all that, but they're very interested in, um, as the Air Force moves to new weapons generation systems, looks at uh, also uh, repairs and maintenance as well. So say you have a part that's broken, instead of waiting six months for it to come from overseas, you can just immediately print it with type. We can t actually take that broken part and we can print it within you know a few weeks, um, recycle and print it. So is it is the the crossover between the kind of the research lab and the uh, an actual uh, a part replacement is that does that exist? I mean, can you can you do that, or is it going? Is are you going to have to go through a complex bureaucracy of of research lab and then getting it proved and supported? And um... <laughs> you will always have to go through 
uh, a bureaucracy, uh, whether it's, you know, there, there, is a, there is a strategic need today because of the way the market is uh, with government and uh, DOD-driven processes, of course, you're going to have to go through that. But they have already chosen that they want to go through additive manufacturing, at least for repairs, maintenance. When you get into new weapons programs, um, definitely uh, you want a few years ahead of, say, new weapons programs to, to be working. So that naturally comes, but repairs and maintenance can be implemented relatively quickly. And that's very similar for the Navy contract we just... Uh, we just all the navy, not contract, the navy uh, collaboration Supplier. just announced as well. So, so um, review that one for me, please. Can, can summarize that that uh, um, arrangement. So, very, very similar to Air Force Research Labs, where there's a want to um, recycle titanium metal products and, and parts. Uh, the U.S. Navy has this problem as well. Uh, actually, the whole world has a problem with titanium metal today. Um, because of the intersection with uh, Russia and China. So uh, the US Navy has a very big problem around uh, cast parts. So these traditional big cast parts, whether it's pumps, pump impellers, uh, that are used in every surface ship because of corrosion resistance and strength, um, these casting houses don't exist in the United States anymore. The big ones. Uh, in a, the casting houses that are left in the world is uh, China, Russia, UK and Norway, and even those are under pressure from the Chinese and Russian uh, casting houses. So, you know, you have to have pumps on a Navy ship, whether it's for the nuclear reactors in a uh, aircraft, in a um, aircraft carrier, to, you know, pump systems for your um, uh, fire uh, systems, uh, water, you know, for your fire systems if there's a fire on board. Uh, they're all titanium because they need to last 30 years. Uh, and so the US Navy has an issue that these cast parts, not only do they take a long time to, uh, to produce, it's uh, if you have an issue, so say if a warship is coming into dry dock, is being repaired, and they find that this pump is worn out in 20 years instead of 30, they need to replace that pump. They go out to market and they find that it's at 12 month lead time for that specific pump component. So we can take that specific pump component, so Carver Pumps is one of the major suppliers of pumps to the US Navy. We can take that component, which is just a worn out titanium metal component, throw it in our process, recycle it, make it into powder, and immediately print it. Cut that lead time down from 12 months to maybe six to eight weeks. Um, that is the, that is really what the, the additive, the Navy has got a big focus on that because these cast pumps are big, these cast parts are big, and there's a big, big issue, especially today when the US Navy is going through a big revitalization program to counter China, essentially, in its uh, shipbuilding. And uh, the Navy uh, has, down the road from where we're building our scaled up production facility in Virginia, they have got um, a large additive manufacturing center, training center, that they just uh, pumped a lot of money into. And so they're very focused on, on on this. So I was able to meet with uh, Rear Admiral uh, Jason Lloyd, uh, who's a big proponent of this. He's the chief engineer for NAVSI, which essentially qualifies all these parts. Uh, and there's a big want to uh, to definitely drive these things forward. So it's it's really important. Right. Um, 
the 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 immediate thought is that uh, I mean, you use the word big, but I should imagine that a pump impeller for an aircraft carrier is not a, a bench scale piece of kit. You know, it's probably a large bit of kit or a large part of large dimensions. Um, you're in the process of upscaling your pilot plant. You've got the plan. I think that's one of your key plans for this year. Twenty million dollars. You've got some funding from the Virginia government, etc. Can you create a pump impeller on the pilot plant, or is it going to have to wait until you've actually created the bigger one because of the, just the sheer scale of the the size of the kit, the size of the part? Uh, okay, yeah, no, it's a good question. So there's over 500 parts that have been identified by the Navy, which are replacement components that uh, they want to replace. Um, they range from anything from, you know, a prop. I'm not going to actually say the weights because that's. Uh, but they, they, they're from small to large parts. You know, some of these pumps are as big as a, you know, as big as a car, right? So, um, you know, there's some very big parts, but there's some also some smaller parts, which we have the capacity to prototype today. So, so it doesn't have to wait for the scaled up facility. Um, we can prototype and we can start qualifying some of the components now. Um, but definitely once we are fully operational at the end of this year, we can, we can be doing a lot more. Well. so there's there's a, a a scale range between small and big and right now you can do some of the small stuff and by the end of the year you can do uh, uh, more and then then the, the the largest bit is going to have to wait but um in terms of the you know what does the <clears throat> what do these contracts mean for the company because if i if you look at the valuation of the company it hasn't really you, you you've stabilized in this kind of price range 80 cents to a dollar 10 for a year and a half two years yeah we well we just came out with the navy uh, last week and the air force research labs earlier so um the as we get into uh this year we'll be uh finishing off the air force research labs and and making some more announcements to market around uh, volumes and what that means uh, for our company and the same thing for the navy as well um, you know, the Department of Defense is a very large consumer of titanium metal. So it is good to already be in with these programs and, and be uh, developing these, um, these relationships. I think one really important thing as well is that the U.S. government is very focused on these raw material supply chains and reshoring them in America. So they've, they've thrown a lot of money uh, behind... Um, a few of the bills, a few legislation that was passed last year, which will benefit us, hopefully benefit us. Um, so I think it's very positive on, on two fronts. On one, on securing future large contract orders, which is great. But two, on securing government financing for the continued development scale up of our company. Uh, and that includes not just the titanium metal part of the business, but also they realize that eventually you want the minerals coming out of the ground as well. So, you know, there's a range of um, programs that are out there. Us having strong relationships in the Department of Defense really helps. In addition to that, there's a focus on not just reshoring these supply chains, but on green manufacturing, on sustainable manufacturing methods. And so we, we straddle both. We are reshoring a critical raw material supply chain in North America, but we're also doing it more sustainably. So 100% recycled, so fully circular, and also with uh, low carbon, almost well, 
zero scope one, scope two carbon emissions. So we're sort of covering off on the two big focus points of Congress and the White House today, which is reshore raw material supply chains and reshore uh, clean, green manufacturing in America. And um, surely the army is getting a bit jealous. You know, I'm, I, I, I don't want to be um, too facetious, but, you know, uh, uh, presumably you've got a conversation going with the army as well. Um, so the, the if, I mean, if you can get the holy the the holy trinity trinity of all three defense departments, that would be uh, a real coup, wouldn't it, for the company? Yeah, absolutely. So look, the army does use um, titanium metal as well. So the navy has got big budgets for building ships and building submarines. The air force has got big budgets for building, uh, you know, airplanes and missiles and stuff like that. Um, the Army has got a bigger budget probably around uh, portable weapon systems, things like that. <clears throat> but there is money in artillery. There is money in um, new, <clears throat> the optionally manned fighting vehicle, they call it, which is a replacement to the Bradley. Um, you know, titanium is lightweight. It's strong. It's definitely, you know, wins wars. Um, the M777 howitzer, which is, you know, had a, together with the HIMAR missiles is, is a big thing in the Ukraine uh, situation today, in the Ukraine war today. Um, the M777 is a lightweight howitzer, so it, you can pick it up with a helicopter. It's all made out of titanium. And uh, there has been talk about restarting the manufacturing of those artillery pieces. All that titanium used to actually come from Russia. So Russia into the UK to make cast parts and then come to America to be assembled. I don't think Russia's probably going to allow us to make artillery that's going to shoot against them so you need to look for other places to make that titanium metal and i mean we can make it pretty easily yeah yeah and um to to demilitarize the conversation are you talking to um golf club manufacturers and hip specialists and, and medical parts <laughs> i actually had that question on golf clubs and stuff by uh, one of my board members and i was like you know what i mean we haven't actually talked to that side of sporting's Sporting goods. Look, definitely um, we see the DOD intersect as being very, very important uh, from a national security perspective. But we, quite frankly, we see our commercial success being centered around non-military uh, applications. Um, so you're talking about everything from luxury goods, smartwatches to bikes, cars, stuff like that. Uh, so we have been working with OEMs across different supply chains. Uh, for instance, with car for pump, for instance, it straddles both supply chains. You use titanium metal in pumps for the US Navy. If we make a sustainable titanium pump that's also cheaper because we can make titanium metal cheaper, we can introduce it more into the you know, chemical industries where they want to use titanium pumps. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, oil and gas, desalination, chemical industries. Desalination, hydrogen generation uses a lot of titanium metal. So we are talking to all these OEMs. I get really excited around, uh, you know, uh, wearables and stuff like that, like um, whether it's watches, smartwatches, things like that. That's that's really exciting. Very big markets where the cons wherever the consumer wants to see a sustainable product, we are a sustainable product. And titanium has always been considered by the consumer to be a premium product as well. So that uh, bikes, uh, automotive, uh, that's where we have a lot of. A lot of interaction today, golf clubs. Eventually, I don't. I actually don't know why we haven't gone and talked to a golf club manufacturer. But we just got. So we have. I think we announced what forty or fifty NDAs with OEMs in the non-military 
um, sector and you know there's there's a lot going on there I actually have a few calls today with with some major OEMs so it's it's progressing really well and this this next quarter you're going to see us make uh, make a lot of progress on that front so so really I mean let, let's let, let look forward to 2023 it, it's about um, the pilot plant but also those ongoing commercial relationships Absolutely. Yeah. So the industrial pilot facility is in a really, really good spot. We've uh, just finished some upgrades and commissioning some new equipment there. So we're, we're really uh, able to produce a lot of titanium metal powder today. And we have our own 3D printing capacity as well. So we have our own 3D printers. So sometimes we work with customers where we can that, you know, ahead of signing a, an, an agreement and, and being able to press release something, we are printing prototype parts for different customers. So we're able to take our powder from scrap, produce these prototype parts um, all in our pilot facility. And, and we have the capability to do a lot of that for prototyping. So we expect that to lead to a lot more of these OEM relationships, these announcements, you know, in the coming months. Uh, but then we're focused on those relationships, announcing those relationships and then scaling up our production. So we announced late last year or September last year that we're moving into a building in Virginia, which was uh, we had Governor Youngkin come and uh, present me with the flag of Virginia of the Commonwealth, um, and uh, we we're upfitting that plant as we speak. Uh, we've been securing the long lead time items over the last six months, uh, and we expect to be operational in that plant at the end of this year. So that will take our capacity to about 125 metric tons per annum of titanium metal powders. So a significant amount in today's world. Um, and then from there we expect, we are doing detailed engineering design right now and, and down to our stamp drawings for electrical work, piping work, all that for the 125 ton, metric tons per annum. But we're also doing some uh, engineering work around how big we could take that facility. So could we get to a thousand tons or more in that current facility uh, and then what does our scale up from there look like? So in the next few months, I would like to uh, update the market on how that build out, we call it the titanium demonstration facility, how that build out is happening. Um, and then our scale up from there over say the next five years, how we're gonna to get to a thousand plus metric tons per annum, which really gets you into being the largest powder, metal powder supply in the world. So did you say a thousand plus, thousand tons plus? That's that's what we're we're looking at. How do we how do we get above a thousand metric can we get to a thousand or above a thousand metric tons per annum? Um, so, you know, there's there's more to say there. Um, but right now it's at 125 metric tons per annum is our detailed engineering design and we're doing some of that preliminary engineering design of, you know, can we get to those sort of levels in the current facility. And you talk about uh, a $20 million cost, uh, $8 million of which is CapEx, potential funding of $4.5 million. Uh, what are the, what are the, what's the other $12 million associated with and where's, and can you just kind of describe the, 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 the broader funding package? So there's a lot of contingency in that. There's quite a bit of contingency in that. Um, so we, we put a big contingency factor on, um, on the build out. Uh, and then you look at, uh, so this is a shell building right now. So we're building out office, laboratory, added manufacturing uh, space. Uh, and then you've got quite a bit of work, uh, a few million that goes into HVAC, piping, uh, electrical. Um, so we, we're going to have some updated numbers to the market uh, in the in the coming months, um, and that will really lay out 
pretty much everything will be quoted uh, or close to everything will be quoted um, and then we'll be able to lay out all, also that expansion so it's it's quite it's relative to say what you see in mining it's quite cheap the bang for your buck is is really really good uh, and this will display the uh, technological maturity of our process as well um, so it's it's going to be a the only plant of its kind uh, and it's going to really take us into being a commercial producer of titanium metal powder. And um, what's your balance sheet like at the moment? Where are you? Uh, 11 million US was in the last quarter. Uh, so that's not including what we get from the Air Force Research Challenge. We actually did have revenues November, December last year from Panerai. So uh, we will continue to be producing uh, product for Richemont and uh, the group there uh, and then with some of our prototyping we we do get paid for so small revenues um, but we expect uh, once the TDF is operational for that really to to scale up a lot of the equipment we're buying is off the shelf equipment so we're, we are looking at opportunities to lease a lot of that equipment there's um, regional banks who are interested in leasing of that equipment to us so we're, we're in quite a good position and like i talked about before there's a lot of government programs out there which we are in the running for which support uh, want to support scale up of either green manufacturing stories sustainable manufacturing stories or these sort of raw material supply chains that are in uh, dire need to be reshored in America. So we're in a, we feel that we're in a very strong position uh, today with our balance sheet. The board level, you know, conversations at the boardroom, they're not, well, maybe we should do a kind of a, just a kind of a buffer raise, kind of taking 10 or 15 or 20, just to give you kind of more headroom. You know, how, how does that conversation go? Uh, nothing at the moment. The board level discussions are really around our, our OEM discussions because we're in discussions with some major OEMs right now and, and that takes all the uh, that takes a lot of the boardroom discussion at the moment so we see uh, signing more customers as one of the key uh, key focus focal points for our company today uh, and then uh, completing all the engineering design and getting everything quoted as a key focal point as well that will be complete uh, in the coming months before we even look at you know what buffer do we want what you know, do we approach anything from the financing side? You know, I think that's that's for us. That's that's the most important part. Is over the next six months, we're going to look to sign more customers, complete all the detailed engineering design and the engineering design and the preliminary designs for what we scale to, and and uh, and sort of uh, communicate that to the market, which I think will be a very very positive. Um, could give us a lot of positive momentum. The other thing that we haven't talked about is on the Titan project, we are actively looking at permitting um, of that. Um, so, I mean, we are taking the view that uh, we we would like to have this project permitted uh, um, this year. So we are in the process at the moment and uh, that could have some, there could be some positive uh, moves on that in the coming months as well. So we're focused very much on that before we think about any any finances. So effectively, what you're saying, what you're, the implicit in those statements is that these, you you view these as potential value 
catalysts or milestones to get the company viewed in a different light by the market. So you're hoping for a re-rate op opportunity on more commercial uh, uh, contracts, an indication on the, the cost and the scope of taking your pilot plant from current levels to 125 tonnes per annum, potentially up to with a, with a pathway up to 1,000 tonnes per annum, and de-risking the, the timeline on Titan by getting those permits in place. Absolutely, yeah. All that should be uh, commercial validation, should, should give us a re-rate. In addition to that, though, Merlin, we also, you know, we are deep in with some of these government programs, which are grant opportunities. So my, the company I, you know, was founded before Hyperion X received $141 million from the Department of Energy uh, late last year. So there is a lot of money in the Defence Production Act for specifically pointed out for titanium, um, both for mineral production, but also especially for metals production. So there's some, you, it, we should make sure that, you know, before we even think about financing, we see where we are at on some of those programs that we have applied to, you know, we've applied to a range of programs. Um, and so, um, and, and we feel very confident on a few of them. So it could be a point where a lot of our growth is funded because of the need, because of the government putting uh, funding towards um, these sort of uh, supply chains. Good. Yes. I mean, absolutely. You must um, pursue non-dilutive financing uh, if, if, it's, if, if the opportunity is there. Um, on Titan... You produced a scoping study um, last year, and the traditional route is scoping study, then pre-feasibility, and then feasibility. And you know, th there's a, a staged uh, de-risking period in the in the life cycle of an asset. Um, I, I, and I know you said you're going for the permitting for the for the overall project, but uh, where are you in that pre-feasibility study, feasibility study uh, trajectory? Yeah, it's a good question. So typically on, as, as you would know, like a lot that goes into pre-fees and feasibility is dependent on a metallurgical test work. So that's typically your long lead time item in any of your engineering studies, because this is, we're not talking about a project which needs to build a lot of, build any infrastructure, actually, we're just building the mine site and processing infrastructure. So um, this is very straightforward project. There's nothing complex about it. It's off the shelf, heavy mineral sands, with a high amount of titanium, zircon, and and, and uh, rare earth minerals in it. Good grade, great assemblage, fantastic location being in the middle of the US. So it's, it's a pretty straightforward project. Now, for us, we looked at that feasibility level metallurgical test work as the linchpin in what will drive our timing to get pre-feasibility and feasibility complete. So we decided to complete that. So we took a 13-ton bulk sample, and uh, a range of one-ton variability samples from around our, our Titan project. Those are um, were run last year. They're complete. Now we're assembling and putting together the final report. Um, so we are we are in a good position to have our. Hopefully, this quarter we can announce uh, that the feasibility level metallurgical test work program is all complete, even ahead of us even completing the pre-feasibility level studies. So that's a big, long lead time item that's a tick in the box. But then for us, last year, we took a bit of time to step back and say, we have the scoping study. 
what do we need to do from now to maybe de-risk that scale up, that scoping, because at the scoping study we went straight out for a large project about a $230 million build. How do we build that in phases? But even more importantly, especially here in the US where you've seen most uh, companies get tripped up on permitting, how do we accelerate that permitting and try and remove that risk factor from the market. So we've really focused more on permitting and that long lead time item of feasibility level metallurgical test work because we'll have the test work complete. Well, we have the test work complete. We'll make the announcement once we have the reports and it's all analysed back. But then we'll also uh, hopefully have uh, our permits completed and then the progression through pre-fees and fees, we will do that. It's just pretty straightforward. Um, I think today, a lot of people, even if we go through pre-fees and fees, they'll still be asking, well, where's the, you know, where's the permits? Because a lot of the uh, projects in the United States today held up on permits. So we wanna show that, we wanna take that risk away so that when we do progress through pre-fees and fees, we can progress rapidly through those because this is a very simple project. Um, and uh, and the market can feel confident in that we're not progressing through these and then they're going to get caught up on permitting. So we decided to spend our capital and our time on on really nailing that down. So a lot of time with the community and a lot of time on, on that. On that permitting, is that just to make sure that um, your, your activity levels stay within the state level of permitting rather than going up to the federal level? Is, is that the key threshold? Yeah, so you want to... In the United States, like actually a lot of other countries, I saw this in Canada with my first company, if you interact with any waterways, wetlands, anything like that, you, you get into a very detailed, very long permitting process. So in Canada, if, you, if you're on lakes or anything like that, you know, you're going to be in a five-year-plus permitting process. I mean, it's just, it's, you're just going to have to be. In America, if you get into wetlands, you may never get a permit. Um, so, um, like what you see in some of these nickel projects where they are impacting some of these wetlands. Uh, where we are, we don't impact any wetlands, don't impact any streams. So we're lucky in that we stay away from that sort of federal side, but you still don't want to take it lightly. We did all our hydrogeological uh, surveys, we did our cultural surveys, all our endangered species surveys. We took over a couple of years doing that as from when we started the Titan project, we started all that work knowing what we need to do. Uh, and then really it was around um, the permit applications and making sure that we had good interaction with, uh, with the state government around exactly what they wanted from us. Uh, and then we had a lot of interaction with, uh, with the community and we continue to have a lot of interaction with the community. So we feel we've got good support there. Um, and now we're at that point of where we're actively permitting the project. Good. I mean, a, a pre-feasibility study is traditionally the time when you you do all of the option studies, the trade-off studies, you look at the right scale, what maximizes your NPV on a throughput and an output rate. Um, but actually, the thing that really changes your NPV is your time to production. So if you can do anything to bring your production timelines closer, even if it's, let's say, on a, on a theoretical basis is a is is not the maximum NPV on a th output rate, but if you can actually shorten that permitting timeline or that time to first production, then you'll probably end up with a higher NPV than a a, a different output rate. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, you here in these heavy mineral sands projects, we're pretty consistent, but geologically it's very consistent. Um, uh, it's not like a, it's not even like a pegmatite. It's not like a lithium pegmatite, body of lithium pegmatites, where you definitely want to be here because you're thicker, lower strip ratio, whereas, you know, you can't be there. Really, anywhere on our property is pretty much going to be the same, plus minus a little bit. You're not going to see a huge change in MVV. We had already run a lot of this internally as to where we should start. Um, so it's 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 more like a coal project where it's, it's just a consistent layer of sand with a, a lot of these critical minerals in it. So we could have, we narrowed down very quickly. Now we have a lot of, in these state permits, you have flexibility in within your permit boundaries of where you start and what you do. You may have to do an, a small amendment, but it's not, a, it's not a huge thing once you've gone through all your public comments and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we are in a really good position to be able to have flex, still some flexibility in that pre-feasibility study when we go through it. But we sort of know where we want to be. We want to bring that capital down. Uh, we want to start in a phased approach. We then want to phase up. But you're right. If we get this, you get this into operation and you, you're theoretically able to bring that and show to the market that you can start this project in a few years' time, that's great. For us, it, we believe if we can be permitted this year, there's a good chance that we can at least uh, start some uh, dirt moving for uh, for setting up, you know, processing facilities and stuff like that this year, later this year as well. So you can start ordering long lead time items. This is a very straightforward project. There's not a lot of, from what we've seen from our metallurgical test work program and everything, it's it's not it's not lithium pegmatites or anything like that where it is a bit more complex or gold, you know. Um, and uh, do you have a target? Do you have a time a target date for your pre-feasibility study? You know, I don't want to give a target date until I know more. We over the next few months, we're gonna we're gonna know a lot more around uh, our permitting, um, and then what what I will say is that we're ready to press the button on pre-feasibility study uh, as soon as we want to. Um, and I be, I think given a lot of the work we've done internally, our pre-feasibility study will be quick you know i don't want to give the timeline but it would be very quick and uh you know if if we started it in second quarter this year we'll definitely get it done uh this year easily um so you know we're in a really really good position to progress into that pre-fees um and then with some things with some of the long lead time items we know exactly what we want to use um with those long lead time items so we're in a position also to potentially put orders down later this year uh, for long lead time items while we're completing the rest of our engineering studies. You know, our people, people that work for me have actually, you know, one of, it was part of the group that also had built the Aluka facilities in Virginia. So we know, and actually both built the Aluka facilities and built the last heavy mineral sands operation in, in North America. So we, we know what we need to do. Uh, the engineering studies is, I wouldn't say fait accompli, but it's just, it's just a set of studies that needs to be done. Once, once you've got your metallurgical test work done, you know what, you know what type of spirals you need. You know what type of electromagnetic equipment you need and stuff like that. So it's we are pretty well advanced internally on what equipment we need, so we can very quickly advance and and start procuring that long lead time item equipment and 
if we get lucky um, and everything's ready to go at the end of this year, you know, the, and we want to push the button to start the Titan project, we could be operational, you know, very quickly. Um, finance a question over that, of course, but um, let, let's cross that. Let, let, let's cross that bridge when when that uh, particular challenge um, comes front and center. Um, just to wrap up, thank you. It's been really really interesting. But uh, if you could just summarize kind of your kind of key uh, newsflow items quarter by quarter, you know what you're looking to block out to the market. And I know that there are some moving parts as well, but both in terms of Titan and uh, the, 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 the metal, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I get on to that, what I will say about the Titan project is that one thing about these sort of critical mineral projects is that if you have a permitted, ready to be built uh, project in the United States, which produces rare earth minerals, will probably be the only one that is able to do that. You have, and titanium as well, you will have a range of groups out there wanting to take, whether it's a joint venture position or, or what have you, in funding that project. So we see the Titan project for me is most, you know, ideally in the ideal scenario, it's most likely funded externally uh, by others uh, that want the, the end product. When I look at uh, the remainder, so this quarter through to fourth quarter next uh, year, this next two quarters are the big quarters for us. Uh, next two quarters is where we hope to sign some of our major commercial partners around titanium metal. Um, and the next two quarters are where we want to make some major announcements around our scale up our ambitions uh, for our titanium metal project. Uh, then over into second quarter, we, we want to be in a position where we are making some, some progress on Titan. Um, but that's uh, that's um, still a, a lot a lot to be seen then. But we feel very confident. Uh, and then as we get into third and fourth quarter, it's really starting on the um, build out and commissioning of our titanium metal facility. And assuming we uh, we achieve permits in Titan, it's it's really uh, starting to look at securing those long lead time items for Titan and some of those uh, co potential commercial partners for Titan as well. Um, Really, it's the it's this quarter, next quarter, where I see a lot of value add in in what we're doing on the ground. You're you're pretty positive about these permits on Titan, you know. Um... Quietly optimistic, um, you know. I've I've got very strong relationships, and my team has very strong relationships with the people on the ground. Um, but you know, we you know we still anything can happen, but uh, we. Uh, we're very well, um, we respect the community a lot and we have for the last three years and we've built extremely long, I've built good friendships out there with some of the key landowners and key officials out there. So it's a, we're in a very strong position and, and we see that generally we're wanted out there um, because we have been doing things right. But again, let's, uh, let's see where that gets to. Great, well, good luck with it all. Thank you very much for the time today. It's been a fascinating update. Um, I'll hopefully catch up with you on the back of your next uh, big announcement. And you, you, hopefully that'll be in Q1 or Q2. Absolutely, Merlin. I look forward to it. Go well. Thanks.